Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Word of God for meditation is from Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver, its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple, its interior inlaid with love. Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look, you daughters of Zion. Look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Like the Gospels, like the books of Moses, Song of Solomon is the word of God in the Holy Scriptures. But unlike the books of Moses, unlike the Gospels, we take the Song of Solomon to be uh, a, not an actual event that happened, but a poem about marriage and, and, and preserved for us in Holy Scriptures a little bit like a parable. It is a story to teach us about marriage. And having raised the question, is it an actual event or is it a story that's there to teach us about marriage, we also have to talk about two other aspects of interpreting this book. Each time we read it and remind ourselves as we read it, is this about the marriage of a husband and wife or is this about the marriage of God and the church, of God and you and me? Well, fortunately, we don't have to decide between the two of those because throughout the Song of Solomon, there are incidents and there are passages which clearly refer to the marriage of a husband and a wife, but there are others that clearly refer to the marriage of God and the church. And so we take it both ways, remembering that there are times when we say, you know, as in the marriage of a man and woman, so it is with the church and with God. And as in church and Christ, so it is with husband and wife. In our passage, it's the wedding day in the Song of Solomon. It is the day uh, when there are little snapshots, almost as if you're looking at at your, uh, your mom's and dad's or your grandma and grandpa's wedding album, and you look through those, those old black and white photographs, maybe yours were in color, um, and my parents were in black and white with little white edges around the, the thing. Mom, unfortunately, is out of focus in her wedding picture. It's kind of too bad, but what are you going to do? But as we look at these snapshots in the song, we have in our text five little photographs, five little scenes about this wedding day. First, we have something coming up from the desert like a column of smoke perfumed. Then we have Solomon showing up with his vehicle, with his carriage, uh, and, 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 and warriors and cool swords. And, and then we have this interlude in the middle of the thing where 
human nature being what it is, what do we do when we see the, 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 the big limousine pull up? Well, we want to look. We want to get under the hood and look inside and look at the interior and look at the seats. And that's exactly what we do. And then we have this invitation to the bridesmaids to come and look at the king's crown. And, and then we have a flashback to the moment when the king was crowned by his mom. And, and that's what we're going to apply most of all today as we glorify Christ the King. Let's look at the first of these scenes when this, this something arrives from the desert. The text says, who is this coming from the wilderness like a column of smoke perfumed? Well, in Hebrew, the word this, in the phrase, who is this, the this is feminine. Who is this? We should think, who is she coming up like a column of smoke for everybody to see and perfumed? Well, who is this? We take it to be the bride. This is the bride on her wedding day. I don't know how many times in, in 20 years here at St. Paul's I have stood up front in this very robe um, looking back at there's the groom up here uh, instructed to stand there with church hands and he turns around to see the bride and the doors in the back open where the ushers are and there he sees her and that moment stands transfixed in his mind for the rest of his life this is my bride dressed as my bride at the moment of our vow and he will remember her like that for the rest of his days in this as a scene depicts the church we remember that we arrived in heaven and god sees us and, and in your mind you might think oh this is maybe the moment of my death when my soul goes to heaven or this is the moment of my resurrection when my body will join my soul or maybe you're thinking this is the moment of my baptism when i was first brought into the church and yes it's all of these things but just like that moment when a groom sees his bride this is the moment when god looked at us in love to bring us to our heavenly home in the second scene king solomon's carriage shows up and i don't know uh, whether in the text solomon is meant to be the groom in which case he would stand for christ or if he's meant to be the uncle who brings the vehicle uh, that will convey them, like a rich uncle lending them his cool car or his limousine or whatever. And in that case, who is it that gives us the transport that brings us to eternal life? It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the means of grace, the gospel in word and sacrament that has brought us into God's holy kingdom. And, and this vehicle is described for us, but first of all, we're reminded that it comes along with these warriors and their swords. And these things we should notice because there are 60 of these warriors that give a certain glory to the ceremony, a, a certain sense of dignity and of ceremony, because marriage is a thing that should not be lightly entered into. And when we think of the number 60, we also think of Solomon's father, King David, the greatest earthly king of the nation of the children of Israel. And he had 30 warriors. The Bible calls them his mighty men. And now in the song, the, the groom has 60 warriors, double what the greatest earthly king had. And if we take these warriors, as, as I would think I would like to, as the angels of God, they are there to... To, to defend the couple all through their marriage 
Maybe all of us have a number of angels that watch over us. We know we do. We just don't know what the number is. But here they're sort of doubled by, uh, by, by the coming together of the husband and wife and the sword of the Word of God, as the New Testament often calls it, is there to defend and protect, to protect the couple from outside attacks and from the sinful nature as well, as we use the Word of God to uh, teach, rebuke, correct, and instruct um, in all things. Then we have this, this little fourth scene, this sort of uh, inter, or, or, or the third scene, the, the interlude. And in our te terms, this is when we get to see the inside of the, of the cool car that King Solomon is lending to the couple or is using as the groom, whichever it is. But we're told about the wood, the posts, the floor, the seat, and the interior upholstery. And all of these things are described in, in rich, divine terms. The, the, the wood used to make the thing is from Lebanon, the best source of wood, the best lumberyard in all of Palestine. And then the, the, the floor of the thing is gold. What's more precious than gold? And, and also, gold doesn't rust or, or corrode or decay. And the posts then are either made or overlaid with silver, uh, which is uh, also precious, but also able to be used in an everyday sense, like we would use the good silver or the stainless steel rather than plastic at home because it is sturdy and it is somewhat precious and it also is utilitarian. It's, it's able to be used by us like the gospel, like the means of grace, like the word of God that comes to us and like baptism and the Lord's Supper. These things are also given honor as, and we're reminded that they are instituted by Christ because the thing is purple, the royal color, and, and because the interior is upholstered or inlaid with, with what? We think about a vehicle, we think, oh, it's probably upholstered with uh, leather. What's the thing? Those of us who are older, remember Ricardo Montalban? There was a Super Bowl commercial where he came out advertising a car, and he says, fine Corinthian leather. You remember that? And, and I don't know what that means, but, but here we don't have leather, fine or Corinthian or whatever. No, what's it, what is it upholstered with? It's upholstered with love. God gives us this transport to everlasting life, the means of grace, the gospel in word and sacrament. Say that with me. The means of grace, the gospel in word and sacrament. And he gives it to us in love, love that we don't deserve, love that we didn't have coming. God loved us and God saved us. Not because of how nice we are, not because of how deserving we are, not because of how good we might be. God loved us simply because he loved us and gave us his promises and his forgiveness. The fourth little scene is, uh, 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 becomes this flashback to the fifth scene. But the fourth scene is simply this invitation of, 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 of the groom to the bridesmaids. Virgins of Israel, daughters of Jerusalem, come and look at the king and his crown. This little sentence, this little call, is a reminder of, of, of why God's church has always shocked the world. The ancient world did not 
uh, offer their religions to women and children and foreigners. But God's kingdom has always been open to all who will put their hope, their trust in Christ. That's all. Whether a man, woman, child, the ancient temple had a court of the women, a court of the Gentiles, children were brought in, little boys, a week old, were brought in through circumcision. All little children are brought in today through holy baptism. The kingdom of God is simply open by offering the thing that's required. By the Holy Spirit giving faith, Jesus simply looks for that faith and that's the theme of almost everything else in the Song of Solomon because the groom praises the bride for the way she looks. This is the reason why you're uncomfortable reading Song of Solomon. Because the, the groom keeps telling the bride why he likes this part of her body and that part of her body. She has no control over those things. And yet he praises her for it, for what God has given her. And our God praises us for the thing we have no control over, but for what he has given us, which is his righteousness that is ours by faith. This little scene becomes a, a flashback to the, to the final scene when we get to see the king crowned on his wedding day. Now, when was a groom crowned in ancient times? It seems like it was every wedding. The groom would be given maybe a little crown or if his family couldn't afford it, a little wreath or circle of flowers to wear. And he was treated like royalty on his wedding day. We have an echo of this on our wedding days still today. I don't think it's an echo of this, but it does happen where uh, in, 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 in a wedding, there's often a, a meal or a toast or, or something afterwards or right before the dancing starts. I was taught at the seminary, you should leave before the dancing starts, Pastor. And uh, I don't always do that, but uh, uh, where does the couple sit at the meal? They sit at, in the middle of the head table like royalty. Well, we're reminded of, of when Christ was crowned, when they put the crown on his head. Was it a pretty crown? It was the crown of thorns when he was tortured because of our sins. There are five little scenes in Christ's life that, that echo this crowning of Jesus. It begins, I suppose, when our heavenly bridegroom, Christ our King, approached in his coronation parade on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem a week before his crucifixion. In fact, not even a week. It was a week before his resurrection from the dead. He rode in on a donkey, on a, the colt of a donkey. But the people praised him like a king, as a king. They waved palm branches in the air. They took off their coats, put them on the animal, strewed them on the road so even the donkey's hooves would not have to touch the ground as he came into Jerusalem and they cheered and called him king and said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we see just a couple days later, Christ our king crowned, decked in scarlet from our gospel lesson in purple, that royal color, as they were mocking him, beating him, spitting on him, and shoving a twisted crown of, of woven thorns down into his skull. They nailed him to a cross. They lifted up that 
horrible thrown into the air for everyone to see. And the punishment, the prophet tells us, that punishment is what brought us peace. As Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. At the beginning of the passage, remember I said that the vision of the bride approaching like a column of smoke coming up out of the wilderness and perfumed is, is like that moment when the groom turns around and sees his bride and remembers that for the rest of his life. This moment is the moment when the bride sees her groom. And in terms of the church, it's when we see Christ as our King lifted up on the cross, keeping the vow we broke, fulfilling the promises we've never kept, doing the thing, all of the things that we could never do, did never do, taking the penalty of our sins on himself, this is the cross. When I was a student in college, he was in Wisconsin in Watertown where our college used to be, uh, our prep school, the high school is still there. In those days, the prep school and the college shared a campus. And, and one day I was in line in the library uh, to check out some books. And there was a high schooler, a, a prep student ahead of me, a boy with a stack of books. I don't know how long he had had them but he owed a couple dollars. And when you think of a nickel a day, a couple dollars is a lot of books for a long time. And uh, uh, he couldn't pay. And the librarian didn't know what to do. That's what he owed. And he needed to check out other books. He couldn't until he paid. And he didn't have any money along. And well, I stepped in and I said, I'll pay his fine. I don't mind. And I paid the fee. And he wanted to know, what dorm do you live in? And I live off campus. And I'll pay. And uh, no, don't pay me back. What I told him was simply, what I want you to do is try to remember this later in your life when you're in the pulpit. Share that moment when you were back in prep school when a stranger paid your debt without you ever being able to pay him back. I've actually heard that that pastor has used that illustration. I forget his name. I don't remember who he was, but he's out there doing it. Uh, somewhere, But the difference, the real difference between what I did and, and what Christ has done for us is that that action didn't hurt me at all. But what Jesus did hurt him terribly. Every single one of our sins pained him, even while he was tempted. Uh, when he prayed for us in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was tortured, by the Roman soldiers when he suffered on the cross, when he finally gave up his life for ours, for mine, on the cross in his humiliating death. Every sin of omission, every single sin that you and I commit in thought, word, and deed, even the permanent and lifelong corruption of our original sin that's carried from generation to sinful generation, all of that burden from all of mankind was driven down into his skull in that crown of thorns with those nails onto the cross, with those insults from his own countrymen, the children of Israel. His pain was on account of our sins, on account of my sins. 
But our king was suffered, was, was tempted, suffered, struggled with the work and the punishment ahead of him. When he was tempted in the wilderness, angels had to come and comfort him and serve him afterwards. If he hadn't really been tempted, the angels wouldn't have had to have come to do that for him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when his sweat uh, fell like heavy drops of blood falling to the ground in the face of such anguish, the angels came again to comfort him and to serve him. His temptations and his tests and his suffering was, was real, very real and intense. And even though he did not fall, and he could not fall, his temptations were infinitely greater than ours. He could not fail because if he had failed at even one point, he could not be our savior, but he did it perfectly, perfectly in our place. We can never say, we must never say, Jesus just doesn't understand what I'm going through because he took everything we go through on himself when he suffered, when he was tempted, when he died. Our King, the Lamb of God, took away the sin of the world, lifted all of our sins from our conscience, from our shoulders, from our record before God. Whether we understand how sinful this or that is or not, Jesus took it all away. Our, our King has risen from the dead and he reigns today and helps us today with all of our struggles on account of his struggle. His victory is his crown. He is Christ our King. Holy, precious, firm, pure, loving, all of the things that we are not, Jesus is. All of the things that we are not, Jesus has given to us, free for nothing, through faith, by his love, by his grace. Our King, our heavenly bridegroom, has carried us along as his bride into all eternity. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends our understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus.